Letter six of the Love Letters of Abelard and Eloise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Icy Jumbo. The Love Letters of Abelard and Eloise. Translated anonymously. Letter six. Abelard to Eloise. Write no more to me, Eloise. Write no more to me. Tis time to end communications which make our penances of naught avail. We retired from the world to purify ourselves, and, by a conduct directly contrary to Christian morality, we became odious to Jesus Christ. Let us no more deceive ourselves with remembrance of our past pleasures. We but make our lives troubled and spoil the sweets of solitude. Let us make good use of our austerities and no longer preserve the memories of our crimes amongst the severities of penance. Let a mortification of body and mind, a strict fasting, continual solitude, profound and holy meditations, and a sincere love of God succeed our former irregularities. Let us try to carry religious perfection to its farthest point. It is beautiful to find Christian minds so disengaged from earth, from the creatures and themselves, that they seem to act independently of those bodies they are joined to, and to use them as their slaves. We can never raise ourselves to too great heights when God is our object. Be our efforts ever so great, they will always come short of attaining that exalted divinity which even our apprehension cannot reach. Let us act for God's glory, independent of the creatures or ourselves paying no regard to our own desires or the opinions of others. Were we in this temper of mind, Eloise, I would willingly make my abode at the Paraclete, and by my earnest care for the house I have founded, draw a thousand blessings on it. I would instruct it by my words, and animate it by my example. I would watch over the lives of my sisters, and would command nothing but what I myself would perform. I would direct you to pray, meditate, labour, and keep vows of silence, and I would myself pray, labour, meditate, and be silent. And when I spoke, it should be to lift you up when you should fall, to strengthen you in your weaknesses, to enlighten you in that darkness and obscurity which might at any time surprise you. I would comfort you under the severities used by persons of great virtue. I would moderate the vivacity of your zeal and piety, and give your virtue an even temperament. I would point out those duties you ought to perform, and satisfy those doubts which through the weakness of your reason might arise. I would be your master and father, and by a marvellous talent I would become lively or slow, gentle or severe, according to the different characters of those I should guide in the painful path to Christian perfection. But whither does my vain imagination carry me? Ah, Eloise, how far are we from such a happy temper? Your heart still burns with that fatal fire you cannot extinguish, and mine is full of trouble and unrest. Think not, Eloise, that I here enjoy a perfect peace. I will for the last time open my heart to you. I am not yet disengaged from you, and though I fight against my excessive tenderness for you, in spite of all my endeavours I remain but too sensible of your sorrows, and long to share in them. 
Your letters have indeed moved me. I could not read with indifference characters written by that dear hand. I sigh and weep, and all my reason is scarce sufficient to conceal my weakness from my pupils. This, unhappy Eloise, is the miserable condition of Abelard. The world, which is generally wrong in its notions, thinks I am at peace, and imagining that I loved you only for the gratification of the senses, have now forgot you. What a mistake is this! People, indeed, were not wrong in saying that when we separated it was shame and grief that made me abandon the world. It was not, as you know, a sincere repentance for having offended God which inspired me with a design for retiring. However, I consider our misfortunes as a secret design of providence to punish our sins, and only look upon Fulbert as the instrument of divine vengeance. Grace drew me into an asylum where I might yet have remained, if the rage of my enemies would have permitted. I have endured all their persecutions, not doubting that God himself raised them up in order to purify me. When he saw me perfectly obedient to his holy will, he permitted that I should justify my doctrine. I made its purity public, and showed in the end that my faith was not only orthodox, but also perfectly clear from all suspicion of novelty. I should be happy if I had none to fear but my enemies, and no other hindrance to my salvation but their calumny. But, Eloise, you make me tremble. Your letters declare to me that you are enslaved to human love, and yet, if you cannot conquer it, you cannot be saved. And what part would you have me play in this trial? Would you have me stifle the inspirations of the Holy Ghost? Shall I, to soothe you, dry up those tears which the evil spirit makes you shed? Shall this be the fruit of my meditations? No. Let us be more firm in our resolutions. We have not retired, save to lament our sins and to gain heaven. Let us then resign ourselves to God with all our heart. I know everything is difficult in the beginning, but it is glorious to courageously start a great action, and glory increases proportionately as the difficulties are more considerable. We ought on this account to surmount bravely all obstacles which might hinder us in the practice of Christian virtue. In a monastery men are proved as gold in a furnace. No one can continue long there unless he bear worthily the yoke of the Lord. Attempt to break those shameful chains which bind you to the flesh, and if by the assistance of grace you are so happy as to accomplish this, I entreat you to think of me in your prayers. Endeavour with all your strength to be the pattern of a perfect Christian. It is difficult, I confess, but not impossible, and I expect this beautiful triumph from your teachable disposition. If your first efforts prove weak, do not give way to despair, for that would be cowardice. Besides, I would have you know that you must necessarily take great pains, for you strive to conquer a terrible enemy, to extinguish a raging fire, to reduce to subjection your dearest affections. You have to fight against your own desires, so be not pressed down with the weight of your corrupt nature. You have to do with a cunning adversary who will use all means to seduce you. Be always upon your guard. While we live, we are exposed to temptations. 
This made a great saint say, The life of man is one long temptation. The devil, who never sleeps, walks continually around us in order to surprise us on some unguarded side, and enters into our soul in order to destroy it. However perfect any one may be, yet he may fall into temptations, and perhaps into such as may be useful. Nor is it wonderful that man should never be exempt from them, because he hath always in himself their source. Scarce are we delivered from one temptation when another attacks us. Such is the lot of the posterity of Adam, that they should always have something to suffer, because they have forfeited their primitive happiness. We vainly flatter ourselves that we shall conquer temptations by flying. If we join not patience and humility, we shall torment ourselves to no purpose. We shall more certainly compass our end by imploring God's assistance than by using any means of our own. Be constant, Eloise, and trust in God, then you shall fall into few temptations. When they come, stifle them at their birth. Let them not take root in your heart. Apply remedies to a disease, said an ancient, at the beginning, for when it hath gained strength medicines are of no avail. Temptations have their degrees, they are at first mere thoughts, and do not appear dangerous. The imagination receives them without any fears. The pleasure grows, we dwell upon it, and at last we yield to it. Do you now, Eloise, applaud my design of making you walk in the steps of the saints? Do my words give you any relish for penitence? Have you not remorse for your wanderings, and do you not wish you could, like Magdalene, wash our Saviour's feet with your tears? If you have not yet these ardent aspirations, pray that you might be inspired by them. I shall never cease to recommend you in my prayers, and to beseech God to assist you in your design of dying holily. You have quitted the world, and what object was worthy to detain you there? Lift up your eyes always to him to whom the rest of your days are consecrated. Life upon this earth is misery, the very necessities to which our bodies are subject here are matters of affliction to a saint. Lord, said the royal prophet, deliver me from my necessities. Many are wretched who do not know they are, and yet they are more wretched who know their misery and yet cannot hate the corruption of the age. What fools are men to engage themselves to earthly things! They will be undeceived one day, and will know too late how much they have been to blame in loving such false good. Truly pious persons are not thus mistaken. They are freed from all sensual pleasures, and raise their desires to heaven. Begin, Eloise. Put your design into action without delay. You have yet time enough to work out your salvation. Love Christ, and despise yourself for his sake. He will possess your heart, and be the sole object of your sighs and tears. Seek for no comfort but in him. If you do not free yourself from me, you will fall with me. But if you leave me and cleave to him, you will be steadfast and safe. If you force the Lord to forsake you, you will fall into trouble. But if you are faithful to him, you shall find joy. Magdalene wept, thinking that Jesus had forsaken her. But Martha said, See, the Lord calls you. Be diligent in your duty, 
Obey faithfully the calls of grace, and Jesus will be with you. Attend, Eloise, to some instructions I have to give you. You are at the head of a society, and you know there is a difference between those who lead a private life and those who are charged with the conduct of others. The first need only labour for their own sanctification, and in their round of duties are not obliged to practise all the virtues in such an apparent manner. But those who have the charge of others entrusted to them ought by their example to encourage their followers to do all the good of which they are capable. I beseech you to remember this truth, and so to follow it that your whole life may be a perfect model of that of a religious recluse. God heartily desires our salvation, and has made all the means of it easy to us. In the Old Testament he has written in the tables of law what he requires of us, that we might not be bewildered in seeking after his will. In the New Testament he has written the law of grace, to the intent that it might ever be present in our hearts. So, knowing the weakness and incapacity of our nature, he has given us grace to perform his will. And, as if this were not enough, he has raised up at all times, in all states of the church, men who by their exemplary life can excite others to their duty. To effect this, he has chosen persons of every age, sex, and condition. Strive now to unite in yourself all the virtues of these different examples. Have the purity of virgins, the austerity of anchorites, the zeal of pastors and bishops, and the constancy of martyrs. Be exact in the course of your whole life to fulfil the duties of a holy and enlightened superior, and then death, which is commonly considered as terrible, will appear agreeable to you. The death of his saints, says the prophet, is precious in the sight of the Lord. Nor is it difficult to discover why their death should have this advantage over that of sinners. I have remarked three things which might have given the prophet an occasion of speaking thus. First, their resignation to the will of God. Second, the continuation of their good works. And lastly, the triumph they gain over the devil. A saint who has accustomed himself to submit to the will of God yields to death without reluctance. He waits with joy, says Dr. Gregory, for the judge who is to reward him. He fears not to quit this miserable mortal life in order to begin an immortal happy one. It is not so with the sinner, says the same father. He fears, and with reason, he trembles at the approach of the least sickness. Death is terrible to him because he dreads the presence of the offended judge. And having so often abused the means of grace, he sees no way to avoid the punishment of his sins. The saints have also this advantage over sinners, that having become familiar with works of piety during their life, they exercise them without trouble, and having gained new strength against the devil every time they overcame him, they will find themselves in a condition, at the hour of death, to obtain that victory on which depends all eternity, and the blessed union of their souls with their Creator. I hope, Eloise, that after having deplored the irregularities of your past life, you will die the death of the righteous. Ah, how few there are who make this end! And why? It is because there are so few who love the cross of Christ. Every one wishes to be saved, but few will use those means which religion prescribes. 
yet can we be saved by nothing but the cross? Why then refuse to bear it? Hath not our Saviour bore it before us, and died for us, to the end that we might also bear it, and desire to die also? All the saints have suffered affliction, and our Saviour himself did not pass one hour of his life without some sorrow. Hope not, therefore, to be exempt from suffering. The cross, Eloise, is always at hand. Take care that you do not receive it with regret, for by so doing you will make it more heavy, and you will be oppressed by it to no profit. On the contrary, if you bear it with willing courage, all your sufferings will create in you a holy confidence whereby you will find comfort in God. Hear our Saviour, who says, My child, renounce yourself, take up your cross and follow me. O Eloise, do you doubt? Is not your soul ravished at so saving a command? Are you insensible to words so full of kindness? Beware, Eloise, of refusing a husband who demands you, and who is more to be feared than any earthly lover. Provoked at your contempt and ingratitude, he will turn his love into anger and make you feel his vengeance. How will you sustain his presence when you shall stand before his tribunal? He will reproach you for having despised his grace. He will represent to you his sufferings for you. What answer can you make? He will then be implacable. He will say to you, Go, proud creature, and dwell in everlasting flames. I separated you from the world to purify you in solitude, and you did not second my design. I endeavoured to save you, and you willfully destroyed yourself. Go, wretch, and take the portion of the reprobates. O oh, Eloise, prevent these terrible words, and avoid, by a holy life, the punishment prepared for sinners. I dare not give you a description of those dreadful torments which are the consequences of a career of guilt. I am filled with horror when they offer themselves to my imagination. And yet, Eloise, I can conceive nothing which can reach the tortures of the damned. The fire which we see upon this earth is but the shadow of that which burns them. And without enumerating their endless pains, the loss of God which they feel increases all their torments. Can any one sin who is persuaded of this? My God, can we dare to offend Thee? Though the riches of Thy mercy could not engage us to love Thee, the dread of being thrown into such an abyss of misery should restrain us from doing anything which might displease Thee. I question not, Eloise, but you will hereafter apply yourself in good earnest to the business of your salvation. This ought to be your whole concern. Banish me, therefore, for ever from your heart. It is the best advice I can give you, for the remembrance of a person we have loved guiltily cannot but be hurtful, whatever advances we may have made in the way of virtue. When you have extirpated your unhappy inclination towards me, the practice of every virtue will become easy, and when at last your life is comfortable to that of Christ, death will be desirable to you. Your soul will joyfully leave this body, and direct its flight to heaven. Then you will appear with confidence before your Saviour. You will not read your reprobation written in the judgment book, but you will hear your Saviour say, Come, partake of my glory, and enjoy the eternal reward I have appointed for those virtues you have practised. Farewell, Eloise. 
This is the last advice of your dear Abelard. For the last time, let me persuade you to follow the rules of the gospel. Heaven grant that your heart, once so sensible of my love, may now yield to be directed by my zeal. May the idea of your loving Abelard, always present to your mind, be now changed into the image of Abelard truly penitent, and may you shed as many tears for your salvation as you have done for our misfortunes. End of Letter 6